Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Dan and Joe Sports Show. As always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe. All right, Joe, another football weekend this weekend. So what we got to do for our Lord listeners, give them that line of the week for your big betting opportunities. Uh, Joe, the one that I have, it's just, it's incredible. Like the casinos in Vegas, Mississippi, New Jersey, they're just trying to give you money on this one. And I'm talking Baylor only favored by 17 points over Kansas. Joe, I think if my McGill 2-1 high school Yellow Jackets play Kansas right now, they could beat them by more than 17 points. Kansas has become a pathetic Power 5 program. Uh, Baylor is really doing, I think, pretty good in the second year under Dave Aranda, who, of course, had to deal with a shortened COVID season last year. I, I think that pretty much every college football Power 5 team right now could beat Kansas by more than 17 points. And even a, a group of five team last week in Coastal Carolina beat Kansas by 27 points. I think that if this point was like 28, I would even say you could probably cover up, uh, probably fade Kansas and take the Baylor Bears. I like the Baylor Bears to cover 17 points against Kansas. Who would be the two weakest teams you think this year in the Power Five? We were to try to find an opponent for Kansas, maybe Vanderbilt, maybe uh, who, who else would be in that category? Uh, Vanderbilt is 100% in that category. Um, I would look at uh, Vanderbilt. I would look at – Has Virginia won a game or are they 0-2? Uh, Virginia's good. Virginia's okay. actually very good. Yeah, like they're one of the better teams in the ACC. Um, I would – you know, Rutgers is pretty good right now. They're actually won two games. It's kind of surprising for, for Rutgers. Uh, I would have to think on that one, Joe. Right now, Vanderbilt's about the only one I can think of that just looks really bad. Uh, maybe, you know, this is going to be kind of funny, Joe. Washington this year is really terrible. I, I mean, you know, I know normally they're a very good football program. You look at it, they lost to Montana, who's a D2 school. Michigan went to their house. Well, actually, they were, they were at Michigan. But Michigan beat up on them pretty bad, and they don't tend to do that to pretty much anybody. And so I would say Washington and Vanderbilt right now are the only ones I can think of. Maybe Nebraska. <laughs> Maybe Nebraska. <laughs> yeah. So it was, you know, but yeah, Kansas and Baylor, I told you earlier today we were preparing for the show. I think it'd be better um, for everybody if they just played basketball in a scrimmage opposed to, you know, even playing a, a football game with those two schools right now. But um, the line of the week for me, I told you before the show, I was going to go bold on this. And I looked at the Alabama-Florida game, which will be, you know, the afternoon SEC matchup everybody's going to be talking about in that conference. And I think that Alabama's going to cover. I think that we'll see Alabama win by about 20 points in the swamp. And I'll admit, you know, that it's a bold pick, slightly biased pick. You know, I'm not a big Dan Mullen fan. And so even when it comes to Alabama, definitely would not be disappointed if they were to, to take it to Florida. All right, Joe, so here's what I'm going to say on my agreement or disagreement with you on your pick. I think it all depends on who Dan Mullen plays at quarterback. If he plays Emory Jones the whole time, I agree with you. I think Alabama whoops up on him. But Anthony Richardson is a special talent. And if he's healthy and Dan Mullen actually rolls with the true freshman, who I think last week had a stat – 172 yards passing on three touchdown passes on like three passes and also like 150 yards rushing. 
Uh, Anthony Richardson is an amazing athlete, and if Dan Mullen trusts him with this offense and let him go, I think Richardson's someone that could have some success against the Alabama defense. And I would say maybe they could keep it within 10 to 14 points. But if he plays Emory Jones, who I know the guy's a journeyman, and he's been there a long time, and he's worked really hard. He just doesn't look that talented to me. I've seen him. The, the passing's very limited to with him. He's got more interceptions than touchdowns right now. There's no way with what is a very elite Alabama defense that Emory Jones can keep forward in that game. Right, right. So if, if he plays Emory Jones, I agree. If he does, if he plays Anthony Richardson, I think they'll probably call Okay. All right. Well, speaking of that, why don't we talk about this game a little bit? I think that this is a, a huge matchup. Obviously, this is going to be Bryce Young's first real road challenge. I know he played that, uh, you know, the game against Miami, which is in a neutral site. But Florida is a very intimidating atmosphere. The swamp is rough. The fans are very raucous there. I've seen many true freshman quarterback, notably Bo Nix two years ago, get completely rattled by the Florida fans. And I know Bryce Young seems like a very well put together young man. You watch him in interviews. He seems very confident. We haven't seen him in this environment yet. I'm not saying he will get rattled, but I will have to I'll have to reserve judgment on whether he can until I see him do it. I mean, that's definitely a valid point. You know, we've seen some prolific offenses go in there and struggle. I remember the year old this won the Sugar Bowl. Chad Kelly went in there, and they only scored 10 points, lost 38-10. to 10. So, no, it's definitely something to think about. Um, my prediction mainly just vests on the fact that it's Alabama, and, you know, they've looked just unstoppable the first couple of weeks of the season. And there's just something to me about Nick Saban and some of these big games where I've seen, you know, many times in games where it looks like it could be an interesting hyped-up game that kind of comes down to, like, one or two possessions, and then he just goes out there and just unmercifully just blows people out. And so I think this could be one of those occasions. Yeah, I mean, it, it totally could be. And like I said, I think it's it's all going to come down to Florida's offense and how they're able to throw the ball because that's the way they're going to make hay against this Bama defense. If they can they can throw the ball, get some quarterback run in, I don't think they can just line it up and run it against them or run a very base offense and have a lot of success. Right. All right. Well, um, like I said, I also think that Alabama wins, but I think it's within a two-touchdown game only if Anthony Richardson starts. So I'll put a caveat on that one. I think Emory Jones, you see an Alabama blowout. Okay. All right. Uh, moving on, Joe, here's another one that is probably going to be a blowout. But I just wanted to ask you, we brought him up uh, as one of the worst D1 jobs, one of the worst D1 football schools right now in America. And it's Nebraska, of course, which is traditional power. They take on Oklahoma in Norman this week. There's a 22-and-a-half-point spread. My question to you is, what is it that Scott Frost needs to do to get a little bit more goodwill back with Nebraska fans? Does he need to hang within 10? Does hanging within 14 do it? Does he need to somehow lose by one score? Because there's no way they're going to win. What is it Scott Frost needs to do to get a little bit of confidence back in that program? I mean, I think he just needs to go out there and have a performance, you know, that shows some signs of encouragement where this team could actually win some games down the stretch. Because the big statistic I keep focusing on is that they've yet to even qualify for a bowl game in his first few years in Lincoln. And that's just 
unfathomable when you think about how many bowl games there are now. The fact that they're often letting five and seven teams in the bowls. I mean, it's just completely, you know, um, oversaturated as far as like just anybody can get in. In Nebraska hasn't even reached that level. And so they've got to try to, um, you know, build for the future in this game, look respectable and see if they can win, you know, five or six games the rest of the season. That's what I think, too, Joe. I think if they can go out there, I think covering the spread is a good starting point. They lose by 21, but they put up some, like, 28 points against Oklahoma. I think that's something that you can – you know, it's not necessarily a moral victory, but it's it's a decent performance that you can show, look, guys, we hung with this team who's the lead on all levels. Let's move forward. Let's win some games, and maybe we have a good chance to do some stuff in the Big Ten this season and at least make a bowl game. I think you're right. That's that's what I think his step's got to be. Because I think if you're in Nebraska and he doesn't make a bowl game this year, even though he's a favored son, you got to get rid of him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, he can't go out there and have, like, a 38-3 to loss. Like, you know, that that's where you really start getting concerned. Right, exactly. All right, Joe, uh, before we get to the Auburn-Penn State game and what's going to be our finale, there's another one that I want to talk about on the West Coast that I briefly mentioned and that's the BYU-Arizona State game. Joe, one of the biggest uh, wins of last weekend, it was an upset, was BYU finally winning the Holy War against Utah. Utah was a top-20 team. Um, of course, we know what Kyle Whittingham's done. Does a very consistent product there. The last couple of years, Kalani Sataki's team at BYU has looked great. Of course, last year with Zach Wilson, they were a top-10 team the whole season. Uh, you know, I think if they were in a conference like the Big 12 last year, maybe would have had a chance for the college football playoff. They go out and they beat Utah for the first time since 2009. There were 10 wins in a row in the Holy War for Utah in a series dominated by Winningham and are just a huge win for uh, BYU with the new quarterback. Of course, they don't have Zach Wilson anymore. They have Darren Hall. And, Joe, uh, what do you think about this BYU team? I think they're really good. And I think that winning that rivalry game speaks volumes. And I look at their statistics so far this year, they've avoided turnovers, which, you know, on any level of football is just paramount. Um, Hall has five touchdowns this year, no interceptions. They've run the ball with a multiple 100-plus rushers so far this season in the early going, including Hall on that list. And so – I think that that gives them a good chance to win this game against uh, Arizona State. And the thing about Arizona State is with Daniels as their quarterback, and he's one of those guys, the dual-threat quarterback. He can scramble. He can evade the pass rush. And so I think it's going to be important for BYU to be able to run the ball effectively. Um, luckily for them, I think they're hosting this game. Yeah, Joe, um, Arizona State, of course, top 25 team. A lot of people say this has been Herm Edwards' most talented team yet. And a lot of people listen to them as one of the favorites to win the Pac-12. Uh, this is a great opportunity for BYU to get their third win over a Pac-12 team in as many weeks. They opened the season with a win over Arizona, beat Utah last weekend. And so now you beat two top 25 Pac-12 teams in back-to-back weeks. Starts putting Utah as maybe one of those teams that isn't in the Power 5 yet, but could be a potential CFP contender. Yeah, it's kind of interesting to look at the contrast that BYU could be riding a wave of momentum joining the Big 12. Texas could be losing momentum even further, leaving the Big 12. That's right, Joe. That's a good point. 
Well, Joe, briefly before we uh, we go to the last game I want to talk about, uh, with Arizona State, you and I talked about this a little bit this afternoon. Why is it that this recruiting violation story against Arizona State hasn't gotten more traction? Because in my mind, this is one of the most scandalous recruiting things I can remember. And it's even more so when you talk about the public health aspect of it, that basically Arizona State's uh, coaches on recruiting just ignored COVID violations and restrictions and just went out and recruited people like normal and just so they get a leg up on people. I mean, I would think if this was the, if I were the NCAA, this would be one that I maybe even want to tap down on more than even Miami a few years ago. Yeah, I mean, I would say a couple of things. I mean, first and foremost, on that note, I felt like we could do a whole show on the inconsistency of the NCAA's enforcement of different universities and schools and coaches. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, that, that's definitely something to talk about in the offseason. Um, but as far as the specific case of um, Arizona State, like really the most I've heard about this story is almost a footnote. Um, I remember looking at the rankings for the way too early top 25 poll um, after last offseason commenced, and they had uh, Arizona State like in the top 20, and one of the footnotes said, um, there might be some investigations, but at least the players can celebrate and have the memories, even if it's vacated later on down the road. And I was like, wait, what scandal? Like, I don't know much about this. And so that kind of, to me, speaks that it's just not in the headlines. No, it's not. And, I mean, you know, we can only speculate as to why that is, but I think one of them is Herm Edwards being the coach at Arizona State. I mean, he was on ESPN for, what, over 10 years, beloved guy. I like Herm Edwards a lot. I mean, he does a great job. And I don't know how much he was involved with what's going on, but, of course, he's the head coach. He had imputed responsibility there. But that's the only reason I can think of why this hasn't been talked about the way it would be if it was any other major program. And you might say, well, Dan, Arizona State's not a major program. And I'm like, well, they're only the second biggest university in America. So despite the fact they probably haven't had the kind of success they should have on the football field, they're still a major program and something that this is a big story, even if it's being swept under the rug. Oh, absolutely. All right, Joe. Well, the biggest story of the weekend is, of course, the Auburn-Penn State game, which I'm going to be at, and uh, I'm really excited about it. I mean, it, getting to see this whiteout, I've been, like, looking at pictures of it all this week. Uh, I'm just excited to see this atmosphere. You know, I knew that Beaver Stadium was big, but I didn't know until today that Joe is actually the second biggest football, second biggest college football stadium in America after only the big house. No, I never would have um, imagined that. So that's a great fact and stat there. Yeah, that'd be a great venue. I know, you know, you've been telling me about the trip. Really, I feel like you've been talking about it for a while that you, you were planning it. I know how excited you are to, to go there. And so um, the great thing about it is it looks like it's going to be a great matchup. I think it is, Jim. I think it's going to be a very evenly matched game. And I, like, I feel a lot like I did for the Auburn-Wigan game in 2019. I think they're very evenly matched teams. Uh, of course, Penn State's got an advantage being at home where they have 106,000 people there, which is going to be something I've never seen anything like that. Um, of course, the whiteout is very distracting. I mean, it's almost like, you know, you're like, almost feels like you're hallucinating a little bit when you look into the lights of it. Um, but it's going to be, I think, Joe, it's going to be a defensive matchup. I mean, we've seen it with both Auburn and with Penn State. They both have great defenses. 
Uh, Auburn right now has a very unique stat, Joe, which of course will be ended by this weekend. Right now, Auburn is the number one scoring offense and defense in America. They're averaging 61 points per game on offense and only giving up five points per game on defense. Now, of course, that has come against what is barely more than high school competition, but, you know, there's still a stat out there. But from what I've seen with the defense, I think the defense is every bit as good as it's been with Kevin Steele and better than it was last year, actually. Uh, I think that the cornerback play, and especially the play on third downs, is much superior to what we saw last year. And the 2019 defense was fantastic. But one thing I will say, Joe, while this defense doesn't have a Derrick Brown or Marlon Davidson on the D-line, I think their linebackers are the best that I can remember in a long time at Auburn. I mean, you look at Owen Papo, I think he's a top 10 draft pick. Uh, Chandler Wooden, a strong fifth-year senior. And then, of course, um, you have Zacoby McLean, who I think might be a top two-round draft pick. He was the leading uh, attacker in all of America last year. Is a guy that's had some great plays. He had the pick six against Alabama, notably, two years ago. And I really like our linebacking crew. And of course, in the back end, we got Smoke Monday, who's just a fantastic player. And then you go on the other side of the ball, Nebraska's got just great linebackers. I mean, Nebraska, Penn State's got a lot of great linebackers in and of themselves. And the way they played in that win against Wisconsin was all inspiring on defense. So, Joe, I think points are absolutely going to be a premium in this game. Yeah, I think that that's really, um, you know, very well stated. Everything that you described on the game, I think it's very accurate. Um, the big thing I'm looking at from Penn State's standpoint is, can they run the ball effectively on Auburn? Um, Sean Clifford, you know, is a good quarterback, but I don't think he's the type of guy that's just going to be able to win this game with his arm. And I don't trust him to do that. And I definitely look at it kind of the early returns for me is I trust Auburn's running game a lot more, trust Bo Nix more than I do Clifford. Um, I think that Auburn is definitely the better team and should win this game. I think the biggest obstacle I'm looking at is just kind of the road venue um, at Penn State. Yeah, Joe, I think that the, the road venue is a huge obstacle, but I think there's a big mental obstacle for Bo Nix. All you've been hearing about since he's been a freshman at Auburn Beginning with that Florida game I referenced was he doesn't do good on the road. Uh, you look at his stats, he's got more interceptions than he has touchdowns on the road. He's had one top 25 win since he's been at Auburn on the road, and that was against Texas A&M when he was a freshman. Uh, he's only had two SEC road wins, and the other one was against Ole Miss last year. And so he's got some demons he needs to exercise in this game. But what I've seen through him from the first two games, he looks a lot more comfortable in the pocket. I don't see him throwing off his back foot as much. It doesn't seem like he's bailing out of the pocket as much. And, Joe, I think that, you know, we got some really solid running backs, and I think they're obviously going to give the ball to Tank and Jark West Hunter. But I think that Bo has to have a good game for Auburn to win. It doesn't have to be great, but I think he needs to have, like, a stat line that reads – something like 19 of 25 for 180 yards and two to three touchdowns. I think that's that's the sweet spot for Bo Nix for Auburn to win this game is I think if Bo can pass for more than 175 yards, I think Auburn wins. Okay. Okay. No, I, I could see that. But, but I do really think y'all have – Auburn has a decided advantage on the running game. Like Noah Kane campaign compared to um, Tank and everybody else, I just feel like Auburn really has uh, the big advantage there. 
I think so too, Joe. I mean, I think that you can make an argument that Tank might be the best running back in America. Uh, and he has used, you know, a decent amount in the first couple of games. But of course, they've been resting well for this one. And Tank plays his best when he plays his best opponents. So I think he's probably going to have a, a pretty good game. But they're going to have to establish a little bit of a passing game too. And I definitely think that Demetrius Robertson's going to end up being a big person as well. Like I said, if he has a game that's anywhere near like what he had last week, then Auburn definitely wins. Right. And, and, you know, the passing game will also be important in the red zone, you know, being able to capitalize and get some touchdowns. Yeah, and we're right. I mean, I think Clifford's someone that is is a good, solid quarterback, but hasn't really shown me much against the best opponents they've had. And it's definitely going to end up being which quarterback uh, – that hasn't traditionally played well in these kind of games, does play well, is going to be the one that wins. Right. Like, it's just hard with Clifford to imagine him, like, in a third and long situation converting with a pass. Like, that's kind of where I look at him. I, I don't know if he has that it factor. Yeah, I kind of, I'm kind of with you on this, Joe. All right, Joe, so huge game. I think it's going to be close. I think all these kind of games that Auburn plays tend to be close. I'm going to take Auburn to win this game, Joe, 24-20. Okay, I think that's a solid uh, projection. I'll say Auburn wins um, 21-17. All right, well, good deal. we got a four-point spread. Roar Eagle, looking forward to an amazing trip in Happy Valley. I'll be sure and post some pictures on our fan page and on Twitter about it. Got some from last week, and I want to post, too, from my first experience with Auburn, including some of our tumors trees got rolled. Some might ask why you rolled trees after the Alabama State win. Well, because we can now, so... Uh, just a big war eagle excited about this trip and we'll be back next wednesday catch us uh, live at 9 p.m on wednesday and catch all our episodes on spotify the dan does for sure as always i'm dan and i'm jeff